Hey everybody and welcome. This is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and it's our privilege to have with us Russell Stearns from the Naval Postgraduate School who leads Strategic Communications at the Centre for Homeland Defence and Security. Hi Russell, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Why don't you share your background and how you came to be with, with the school? So I've been with the Center for Homeland Defense and Security for almost five years now. I actually started in the operations capacity before that, uh, about, did that for about a year, then transitioned into uh, strategic communications. Before that, I worked in an uh, uh, international education company called Education First, uh, based out of Boston in North America. I think they're based out of London uh, internationally. But anyway, so um, just uh, wanted something different found that and it's been very rewarding experience. Uh, I've learned so much in the last uh, five years working with our alumni at the school uh, and what they do all over uh, all over the world pretty much. So tell us about the Naval Postgraduate School and the type of people who go there and what they learn. Well, we're at the Center for Homeland Defense and Security. We're sponsored by FEMA, so we're a, a school within the school. But the Naval Postgraduate School has been around um, for a very long time, been in Monterey, California, where I am uh, since uh, World War II. And we have people from literally all over the world there doing any kind of uh, uh, engine from engineering to uh, international business. And uh, you don't notice it except on Tuesdays when we're actually there, um, people have to wear their uniforms. So that person you've seen in the line at Starbucks is actually from South Korea or Canada or New Zealand or Mexico. But you, you just it's a very international presence there. It's fantastic. I used to be a training development officer in the Royal New Zealand Navy here in New Zealand, and uh, we we also had people from around the world. And lunchtime was fantastic, and just meeting people from around the world, different disciplines mm -hmm. and um, different departments, even different sections of the Defence Force from different nations. And that was such a great conversation, meeting people that you didn't expect to meet from around the world. Who who you met? That's interesting that you could share about. Oh, no one of, of any uh, name stature or anything, but just uh, at the gym, for example, you just meet yep. people who uh, who from Australia, uh, from from uh, who have these great stories. A lot of people in their in their sixties and uh, early seventies now have some great Cold War stories um, mm. that you that you can talk about while you're on the the treadmill. It's just it's it's very very uh, it's a very unique place to work. And uh, because it is uh, technically a military installation, it's like being in a small town within our own city because uh it's very exclusive so um but uh yeah it's it's just interesting to to see to see the the diversity here um monterey is also home to the defensive language institute uh for the united states army so we have a lot of international presence on the army into while we're navy um a lot of instructors teaching uh, anything from farsi to eastern european languages japanese chinese mm. korean so um, yeah, this whole town is is very, very uh, diverse. <laughs> I always think it's interesting for emergency managers or those that aspire to be involved in disaster response or preparedness to understand the different types of industries or sectors that they could move into. Why don't you share about strategic communications and how it supports disaster preparedness or response? Well, when we first started, we obviously started after 9-11 and jihadism and uh, and t terrorism were like the main the main focus to avoid uh, situations like 9-11 again, um, tragedies like that. But um, ever since then, it, I always refer to homeland security, public safety, emergency management as an ever-growing umbrella, everything from cryptocurrency now, uh, human trafficking, uh, hate crimes, public safety. 
a big one in, in the United States right now is election security, uh, whether that is an issue or not. Um, so it, it's ever growing. And so there are so many sectors uh, versus what we usually go after is uh, fire, police, emergency managers. But we're getting a lot of people from private sector applying to some of our programs now uh, from like the head of security from from 7-Eleven, from Facebook, from Disney down in Los Angeles. Um so it, it's uh, it's it's very it's ever growing and uh, recognizing emerging trends is probably one of my biggest jobs. And is that part of your job because you're communicating strategically to different partners who could come to the school or the center? Absolutely. We're, we're, we're raising awareness of our program. What's unique about our program is because of our grant through FEMA, everything is free. That includes travel, per diem, lodging, wow. tuition, everything. So um, while that sounds great and too good to be true, the downside is you are competing on a national level. So um, you got to make your application stand out. But yeah, so that's why we reach out to these different agencies is to raise awareness for our program and to build the uh, Homeland Security Network within the United States. So how many people in a cohort and when do people join? And there may be people who are watching right now that are interested. Well, so we have um, we have 96 spots a year for uh, for the master's program. That's 32 each because we have three cohorts. Uh, we have two here in Monterey, California. Then on the other side of the country near Washington, D.C. and Potomac, Maryland, we have a summer cohort. Um, and then we have also an executive leaders program that's for we usually target like police chiefs, fire chiefs, people who can implement mm. policy within their agency. Um, that's a that's a leadership course. And uh, that's, we have two cohorts a year for that. So that's 64 spots, that's in Monterey. And then our third program that we concentrate on is called Emergence. It's a few years old. Uh, it is uh, for people emerging in their field. Um, and so it's a, a lot of time, it's really exciting. It's a different group, uh, a lot of excitement. Um, because they're not jaded career professionals yet, as I always joke around and say, they're they're uh, very optimistic. And so there are a lot of young people, but also we have people in that who have uh, done career changes uh, in midlife. So they're not necessarily young, but they're just in a different job transitioning career-wise. Um, so we have, those are the three main programs. We also have other resources. We have the nation's only Homeland Security Digital Library. We have several publications and then uh, we have different webinars and I'll talk about that one later. Sure. The people that come in and join that are aspiring leaders um, must be a fantastic networking opportunity for them being in this group of individuals that are obviously passionate about their role. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are, are very well, we're seeing in the last 20 years to uh, a lot more uh, academia regarding uh, emergency management, and homeland security, which is great. Right. It's good for us. Um, and it, it is really good to see people um, be excited about it and uh, and want to learn and want to think outside the box, too, is what we go for. We don't uh, in, in our classes, we don't want uh, argument, but we do want some healthy debate. You know, we're dealing with uh, a very large country here. We have different issues and different viewpoints on things, and we um, want those res uh, addressed respectively. Right. Yeah. And you said that um, your people compete for a position, an opportunity to be in involved in the program. What are some of the creative ways that you might be reaching out and promoting out on the market right now? Because there's a lot of opportunity for training. Well, usually we do the the conference circuit, but um, that's kind of just now coming back in. They're very small regional conferences. Right. I've done a lot here in California. I actually haven't left California in almost two years. Um, so I've been doing what I can that way. Uh, 
normal well speak pre-covid we do uh like international association of chief of police international association of firefighters we have our our bread and butter conferences but then we're looking like for for emerging issues like cybersecurity conferences that we might not have gone to 10 years ago um we're also reaching out to our uh, native american population um for for tribal security and tribal safety as well um so because of covid um let's i discovered uh, LinkedIn as a great resource uh, for, for outreach, uh, attending a lot of webinars. The 2021 and 2020 were definitely the era of the webinar. Um, hopefully that continues because uh, people can't necessarily travel even when um, COVID's at a minimum. So hopefully that continues because it's a great way to get out there and um, spread the message uh, of whatever the topic of the day is. We were going to talk about that, about um, how COVID has impacted your role and how has it? Well, like I said, I usually go around, uh, you know, uh, the 50 states, sometimes Canada, and um, that didn't happen for about six months. So uh, we were trying to think of a way, because I, I was just getting really burnt out on Zooms for about six months, uh, as, mm. as most of us were. Uh, I referred to them as the Brady Bunch boxes. Um, if you're familiar with the opening to the old show, uh, everyone's face is in a box looking at each other. Um, anyway, so I went around regionally and actually traveled the whole state of California, which is a pretty massive state and would do like a few counties at a time, would meet with emergency managers, public health officers, um, police, fire, and people who'd be interested in the program just to get it, just to get something out there. And it paid off too because our application numbers, if we look at it on a, on a map right now, are very California heavy. And uh, so it's good that we have the interest. But I would like to get out and go to other parts of the country as well when it's safe. So that's how COVID's right. kind of impacted my role. So has the course delivery continued, but online during this time? Yes, yes, it has. It has continued. Um, we actually have a whole master's cohort who never have met in person, which is just beyond comprehension because it's an 18-month program. Uh, wow. Most of it is online, but you do come to Monterey or Potomac, Maryland for two weeks at a time. Then three months, you go home, do 15, 20 hours a week of work like you would with any other masters. And then you come for another two weeks with the rest of your cohort, finish up your quarter and start the new one. Um, that didn't happen uh, in traditional means. <laughs> so they were uh, they were online. So hopefully... Um, they didn't, I, I feel it's a different experience. I feel being in the room together, having those conversations, having that dialogue is so important. Um, so they had to compensate another way and they did it. So you've got a webinar coming up, as you talked about before, um, avoiding catastrophe. Tell us about that. So we have this webinar series that has been really popular since COVID. Um, some of them are for alumni only, some of them are for the general public. So this one, uh, Catastrophe st uh, Strategies for Enhancing uh, Supply Chain Resilience is open to the public. Um, I sent you that link. So we do those about once or twice a month. We have some of our um, subject matter experts. A lot of them are alumni from our master's program or executive leaders. And um, people can come on, they'll have a presentation and we have the chat going and we'll answer questions and we record them, save them. Uh, for future reference. So uh, we've been really fortunate to have a really active alumni network that's willing to participate in this capacity. We'll make sure that we have the link for that underneath uh, the description for with this video mm -hmm. on Facebook and on LinkedIn and YouTube. So if you're watching the recording, then just check the description below so you can register for that. Um, where do you see things going for, for your center post-COVID that will be this new normal of in terms of delivery? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because of uh, restrictions at the Naval Postgraduate School, we, they are a military installation. They are getting people from all over the world. They're going to be a little bit more strict than most. Where So we've had mm. to kind of compensate and use like hotel ballrooms and things like that for our in-person. Uh, we do require vaccination. So, um, you know, it's just keeping that six feet apart. And, uh, you know, there are still chance for breakthrough. So we, we have been using different venues, but we are very happy to be back in person. Um, yeah. Yep. Tell us about some of the challenges that you're hearing from people in emergency management and uh, disaster response. Um, well, public health uh, in, in a homeland security and emergency management has kind of been on the back burner, in my opinion, for, for many years, because other than like some flu outbreaks um, and SARS, um, things usually not affecting us <laughs> mm. uh, on, a, on a huge level. Have, it's like I said, have been on the back burner. So with COVID, it's kind of put it in the forefront. And I think people are learning more about it than they ever wanted to uh, before. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's probably the biggest one that's changed, especially with law enforcement. Dealing with different uh, policies and mandates based on whatever state you're in has created some really good conversations uh, for, for us at CHDS because um, we're not all on the same page federally. Um, so do you see the requirements for senior leaders um, in different disciplines of emergency management changing like around their public health? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think they're, they're going to want to be a little bit more, more versed in it as time goes by um, to avoid something like this again, if it's not avoidable, which I don't think it is uh, what to do, uh, you know, what mandates to put in place. Um, so we don't have the massive outbreak that we've had. So I believe that, yeah, especially even even fire police, um, you know, making in, in fire, you know, and, and police, the first thing you do is make sure the scene is safe. So you need to incorporate COVID into that into that uh, equation as well. I wanted to ask from your perspective in the center, where does research or academic research, industry research really need to focus on to prepare for the future? Well, we need to kind of it's i think it's a fine balance of sticking with uh with what we've what we've done for the last 20 years you know a lot of domestic terrorism like i said that's where we started right. um infrastructure um cybersecurity things like that you know just that that 50% and then 50% looking at trending issues i know our professors like to have their their class outline but there's really no way when we have these discussions to avoid uh current events so that's why I, I believe that trending issues need to be need to be considered um and we have a, a great great collection of theses from our master's students um from the last since 2002 uh for almost 20 years now uh pretty much talking about if you put it in a timeline it would be very much trending issues hmm and I can send you the link to our um, to our Homeland Security Digital Library, which has uh, those theses. Some of them are restricted, which I can't even see, but most of them are available. Thank you. I was going to ask for that. That'll be great. So those watching the recording, that link will be with the show notes as well. That'll be very interesting, particularly for our students to broaden their um, their knowledge and their understanding. So for you, when you listen to these um, aspiring leaders and senior leaders talking about their careers and where they're going, what would you suggest that someone um, build into their career portfolio for leadership and emergency response, particularly in government departments or in government organizations? What should they build in? 
what should they build in into their own uh, career path? Yes. Well, absolutely. We're looking for leadership, people who 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 uh, want to have some kind of leadership and um, um, public servant capacity, obviously. But uh, we're really looking for people to think outside the box um, when they go on from whatever because people are not going to stay. I mean, it's very rare that people will stay on uh, more than 12 years uh, in emergency management in the U.S. with one, with one job. So uh, we want them to take whatever they've learned, pass it on to their uh, to people within their agency. We want to keep these agency um, uh, relationships alive and well, even when what our our link is gone. We want to uh, have an establishment already. Um, I would say that they uh, that they really just need to. Uh, not get comfortable, I guess would be a good way to put it. Don't get comfortable with the way things are because anything can change at any given minute. And that's the that's the bread and butter of uh, emergency management. Right. Well, Russell, we really want to thank you for your time, for sharing what your center does and how you do it and the people that you're involved in and giving advice for aspiring leaders as well. Uh, everyone who's watching the recording, do check out the description and the links so you can see the link to the conference and also the webinar and also to the um, the theses that have been written by Russell's team's graduate graduates. So thank you so much for your time, Russell. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. I hope this. Uh, I hope you get something out of it. <laughs> Really good information. And for those of you that are watching, if you're thinking about, um, particularly from the uh, from the military, do check out the links in the description to have a look at the program that Russell talked about. For those of you that may be all around the world, want to learn anywhere, anytime, and you're interested in a bachelor or a master's of emergency response and risk management, we're doing things in a new way and there's scholarship opportunities as well. We're leveraging technology to make sure that you can continue your learning and also get credit for your emergency experience and your training that you've done in the industry. So do reach out to us, uard.ac.nz or uard.org, and we'll see you soon.